Thank you. I don't know if we should also offer a CD player with those CDs. I, my daughter was asking me to play something, some music in the car that we only have on CD, and she was astonished that my car didn't have a CD player. Um, so maybe we can offer some CD players as well. You know, raising kids can be a terrifying endeavor. Um, our oldest daughter, the same daughter that was asking for that music on CD, is now apparently at the age where she will get up in the middle of the night on her own if she is thirsty. She will make her way into the kitchen, bang around in a half-asleep stupor to find something to drink. I didn't know this until last week. Last Sunday night, almost a week ago exactly, we went to bed early. I was out like a light. I hadn't slept the night before, and so when we went to sleep, I was sleeping hard almost immediately until I was startled out of that peaceful slumber by repeated noises, sure that we had another raccoon in the attic, which is another story, or sure that somebody was rummaging through our kitchen looking for our finest baking accoutrements, which we have some very fine baking accoutrements. But it turns out it was our daughter getting a drink of water. And when we went into the kitchen to find out what was going on, she was upset with us because we had startled her. <laughs> Raising kids can be a terrifying endeavor. It can be terrifying in those simple, everyday, even silly ways like the one I just shared. But there's also a deeper, maybe much more consequential terror. Several weeks ago, we were driving home late at night. So it was very dark in the van, and our four-year-old sits in the very back, which isn't ideal when it's dark and you are unsure of what she has smuggled into the van with her. And you can't casually look to the back to see and make sure everything's not falling apart. The quieter it becomes, the more worried you become, so on and so forth. Well, on this particular night, the smuggled contraband included a black ink pen. And as you would expect, we got home and her face was covered in ink, which by the way is not the first time this has happened. And, and I'm sure if you are raising kids, you've experienced this before. And I asked her what she was doing. And she said, well, I was trying to give myself a beard like you have. <laughs> My initial response was offense because I'm pretty sure my beard doesn't wrap around my eyes and cover my forehead, so nice burn, but not quite accurate. My second response was a moment of concern and somber reflection, as I was reminded again in a very simple way that kids are often watching us and wanting to imitate or be like us for good or bad at least until junior high, in which I understand at that point a shift takes place in mimicking parents is anathema, but kids are often watching, seeing what is modeled for them, and then seeking to imitate. I want to continue the conversation we started last week, looking at this really short section in 2 Timothy 3, where Paul instructs Timothy regarding his life of faith in the midst of some really challenging circumstances in the church in Ephesus. 
So we started looking at this last week and focused in on two necessary elements of Christian discipleship. First, the reality that discipleship occurs in proximity to other followers of Jesus. We noted, as Jamie Smith argues in his book, You Are What You Love, which, by the way, there are some copies out on the book table if you'd like to read it and return it so somebody else has a a chance to read that as well. But we noted that discipleship is often caught as much as it is taught. So if I never or rarely spend intentional time in community with other followers of Jesus— I shouldn't be surprised if at some point I wake up to realize that my life aims have shifted significantly or I'm I'm no longer living into those aims. We grow in our discipleship by spending time with other followers of Jesus, learning together what it means to follow him. Number two, we noted that discipleship requires engagement in practices that shape our loves, which is the argument Smith makes, shape our loves, and then in the end, form our entire being. So today I want to continue exploring some of these ideas, particularly as it relates to the discipleship of children, because we actually find some suggestions in this text that this is an important part of what's going on. So let's read verses 14 through 17 again to set the stage. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, Paul says, in contrast to the false teachers at work in the church in Ephesus, not so with you, Timothy. As for you, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, or continue in what you have learned and have yourself become convinced of. So there seems to be a distinction for Paul, on one hand, between learning, the intake of information, and becoming convinced. You have learned it, and then you have subsequently firmly believed it. When it comes to our discipleship, learning often precedes firm belief. And indeed, at times, firm belief may even involve an unlearning of certain things. But at some point in the discipleship process, we each have to own the faith in a way. So we have received the faith. It has been handed down to us. But at some point, it becomes personal. It becomes our own. You know, I I learned a lot about the Christian faith in childhood. But at times it was just the accumulation of facts, and I think that's normal. That's a part of the process. It involves that learning, but eventually that translates into firm belief, hopefully. I also in what was involved in a variety of experiential elements growing up that I didn't fully understand. We talked about this a couple of months ago in regard to our baptism. As we age, 
we constantly return to our baptism and discover new new significance of that sacrament that maybe hadn't connected in childhood. So I learned a lot about the Christian faith in childhood, but at some point, I had to transition from what was handed down to me to make that my own, to own it. I had to own the faith that was handed down to me. And I think we all do at some point. And to be honest, for me, it wasn't a single moment, but it was many points on this faith journey. But Paul encourages Timothy, you are able to remain faithful. You are able to continue in firm belief for two specific reasons. First of all, because you trust those who handed the faith down to you. Verse 14, you know, you trust those whom you have learned from, not that they are flawless in their thinking or perfect in their discipleship, not by any means, but you trust that their motives are pure and are for your good. You trust that they want you to encounter and walk with the God who created you. Now, admittedly, this is where there's a bit of a weighty responsibility that we have to deal with as the church tasked with raising children and then also as families tasked with raising children. We are called not only to instruct, but we are called to pass down the faith to them, but also to live in such a way that points to the beauty of Christ. We want to model consistently and faithfully, albeit not perfectly, but in humility, with grace, with consistency, we want to model what following Jesus looks like. We want not only our teaching, but also the way we conduct every aspect of our lives to inspire children that they may be captured, not by our greatness, not by our goodness, but by the beauty of Jesus Christ shining through us. Now, this is where maybe there's a bit of a collective sigh, because it's a weighty responsibility, and it is tough. None of us do it perfectly. We probably all fail in this multiple times a day, but I think it's important for us to sit with that discomfort of the weighty responsibility, to take inventory of our lives, because I really think that hypocrisy will do as much to damage the faith of our children as nearly anything else. To say with our mouths, yes, Jesus is the center of our lives, and then to profess with our lives, well, yeah, that's not really the case. This is tough. We'll just sit with it for a moment, and then we'll move on. So secondly, Paul says, you are able to remain faithful and continue in firm belief because you trust those who have pass down the faith to you, but also because you are grounded and rooted in our sacred scriptures, and you have been since your childhood. This is one of the things that we hope to accomplish through our kids' ministry, an intentional rooting in our scriptures, an immersion in the developing uh, uh, development of literacy in the big story that is being told throughout our scriptures, a story that we are all a part of. We'll explore this in more detail 
next week. But this is where, at times, I fear there is, at least in our cultural context, a bit of pushback. I don't know about discipling kids because I want to let kids make and choose their own path. And I think if you live long enough, we, we do see that pendulum swing. In fact, in this day and age, with the acceleration of communication and the transmission of information, it doesn't take nearly as long for that pendulum to swing. But I think one place we have seen this recently within the church at large, in the Western church anyway, is in regard to the instruction and discipleship of children. And I think it's natural that that pendulum would swing because as kids grow and develop and eventually become adults themselves, it is very natural to reflect on the specifics of how they were raised. And it's also very common to react strongly both to perceived or even to legitimate mistakes made by those who raised you. But I want to suggest that a strong, unmeasured reaction to the missteps of those who went before can actually lead to destructive new missteps that our children will have to move to correct. And to some degree, that's probably inevitable. I, I don't know that that can be helped entirely because our children will, in fact, correct our mistakes and their children will correct their mistakes to some degree. But I think we would be wise to think deeply and critically about this before just jumping in headfirst to the exact opposite of the discipleship methods of bygone eras. So it, it's the thinking, well, I recognize some of those previous models and methods were unhelpful, and this is the exact opposite of that, so it must be good. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I'll explain it this way. I, I think for my generation, those who have young kids now, there has been a perhaps well-deserved reaction to or correction of certain things, certain views on discipleship that may have been unhealthy and may have even caused damage at times. For, for instance, in the 80s and 90s and even into the early 2000s, it, it was not uncommon for questions to be discouraged or for questions to not be handled in a genuine or gentle way, maybe they were dismissed or it was sanitized, sentimental answers were offered to challenging questions. At times there may have been an unhealthy insistence on achieving intellectual certitude regarding every doctrinal issue imaginable because nothing is difficult to wrestle with or because we have packaged answers that we ourselves just accept and then demand acceptance from everybody else. But as it always does, I think the pendulum is swinging, and I don't know that the exact opposite extreme is helpful in raising our children in the context of the Christian faith. There is at times now a reaction against the very notion of discipleship altogether. Well, I, I can't raise my child in the Christian faith because that would be manipulative in some way or it's, it's spoon-feeding answers or it's forcing my religion on them and I want them to choose their own path when it comes to religious convictions. And to be fair, I get that impulse entirely. I, I get the reaction to unhealthy approaches in the past, 
But the reality is there is always going to come a time for a child in whatever faith they are raised in, whatever standards they are raised with, there is a time where a child will have to make that their own. They will have to choose their own path. I think any notion of raising children acknowledges this reality. Whether it's in the context of the Christian faith or not, my children, when they grow, they may choose to accept the vision of life in this world that I have tried to instill in them. They may not. They may accept parts of it. They may reject other parts of it. But that reality and that tension doesn't mean that I can completely wash my hands of the responsibility of trying to help them learn what it means to be a human being in this world God has created. There's a well-known proverb I'm sure most have heard it, Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says this, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Now, we know that experientially that that proverb is not absolute, right? We, we get that that's a general principle because we've seen probably many instances in when that didn't hold true because you can raise two kids in the exact same environment, with the same standards, with the same caregivers, and they may choose very different paths. So we are reminded that discipleship of children is not about control. Discipleship cannot be reduced to a desire to control the outcome of our children's lives. Indeed, attempts to control the outcome will in the end often be unfruitful and probably pretty damaging. Control is not discipleship. But at its core, discipleship does involve instruction. Look, I believe this is true. And because I believe it's true, I also believe this is the best way to order our lives, though it may often seem countercultural and it may also often be very difficult to live into, but I believe that because it is true, it is the path to true freedom and joy and meaning in this life. So there is instruction and a passing down intentionally of the faith that we have received, passing it down to subsequent generations. But the question always remains, is what we teach and try to instill, is that, as Paul says in this letter, is that going to translate into firm belief? One of our goals in discipleship is to limit as many hurdles as possible that our instruction might be effective, that it might translate into firm, lifelong belief. And that relies, I think, on a faithful modeling of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and an intentional rooting in the story in our scriptures. In verse 15, Paul says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. To disciple children, though it involves instruction, I think to disciple in a healthy way also requires a willingness for us to welcome questions. It's much easier to say, don't ask questions, just believe. 
It's easier to offer packaged, trite answers to difficult questions, but I don't think that is conducive at all to sustained, lifelong faith. So this is really tough. To be honest with you, I, too, am struggling to figure out how to faithfully disciple my children. I'm struggling as much as any other caregiver in the room. It's difficult. The context is constantly changing. It is perplexing. But the solution for us as people of faith in the midst of that complexity is not to abandon the pursuit altogether. Well, I I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to bury my head in the sand and hope for the best. That approach probably won't have the results you desire. The language Paul uses in this letter to Timothy to describe Timothy's faith shows intentionality. See it repeated. You have learned. You have firmly believed eventually. You have been taught. You were acquainted with the scriptures. And you were acquainted with the scriptures since you were tiny. The reality is that practices we engage in, both as a community of faith, but then also individuals, individual families raising children, the practices we engage in are not neutral. The practices we engage in are shaping our children, shaping how they view the world, what they see as important. Your rhythms, as Jamie Smith argues, your rhythms are shaping their loves, and that is in turn shaping everything about them. That applies to adults, but it also applies to our children, especially in these most formative years. The practices, rituals, rhythms we expose our children to shape and form their loves from a young age. Every one of us is being shaped by a myriad of practices we engage in. The challenge is that we often don't recognize the transformative power of those practices, transforming power they have over us. And so we are engaged in formation, but often it is passive formation we are engaged in. It's happening subconsciously. Christian discipleship is the process of attempting to engage in deliberate formation where we are allowing, because of the practices we engage in, we are allowing Jesus to shape us through routine, through practices, even through postures of the body, through various disciplines. This is one of the reasons I think that volunteering in our kids' ministry is one of the most important ways to contribute to the life of this community. Because what's happening next door, it's not child care, It is critical to the life of our community. I think it's critical to the lives of our children. Rich Velotis, I've said this before, but he once said that I'm not doing the church a favor by volunteering in kids' ministry. The kids' ministry is doing us a favor because kids are a source of joy that God uses to form our hearts. There is a lot of formation that is going on next door. Children are being formed. But if you volunteer in the kids' ministry, you can probably attest to this, that you are also being formed. The same thing happens in raising children. Nothing in my life has highlighted my own selfishness like having kids. 
And I, I believe God is using that to shape my heart and further bring me into alignment with his character. So this is a critical element of the formation of our children, but our, also our own formation. As we instruct and instill and model what it means to follow Jesus. Again, not with the goal of controlling. It's not effective, and personally, I don't think that's what discipleship is. But we want to model for our children the beauty of Jesus Christ and life in his kingdom. So again, by the way, if you help out with our kids' ministry, thank you. Um, genuinely, it is not unnoticed, and it's not unimportant. It is critical work that is being done in this community. Um, if you're not involved, you could be. There's always room for more. It is not realistic, I don't think, to think that our children are raised in a vacuum. So I don't, I don't wanna push my vision of life on them. I want them to be able to make their own path. They're not raised in a vacuum, not able to make decisions about their deepest held beliefs unencumbered by any outside forces. Kids are being discipled. Whether that is intentional and deliberate or not, they are being formed. They all are. We all are. Whether that's happen happening subconsciously or we are aware of it, we are being shaped. Whether it's intentional or not, it's happening. So my hope, this is my prayer for, for my life and for my family. It's, it's also my prayer for this community that we would be a people who take this seriously. That we would take it seriously and approach it with prayer and intentionality, instructing, instilling, passing down our faith, but doing so in a way that draws our children's hearts that they might be captured by the beauty of Jesus Christ. Not drawn into a theological system, but drawn to the beauty of Jesus Christ. A beauty that can transform not only our lives, but will, I believe, transform the entire cosmos. Would you stand? We are going to gather around the table of our Lord to celebrate the gift that we have in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, a gift that Jesus offers to us freely, a gift that we come to this table with nothing but open hands to receive something that we could never earn. I'm going to say a prayer for us by way of invitation. If you're new or visiting, we invite you to join us around the table of our Lord. I believe that he is inviting you to this encounter with him. I believe he meets us. All we have to do is approach this table with an open heart, open hands to freely receive what Jesus is giving us. We'll make two lines down these two center aisles. You can come to the front. When you get to the table at either side, the words will be spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ shed for you. Take the gift and receive. You can head back to your seat. Let me say a prayer for us by way of invitation.
Lord Jesus, as we, even in this moment, are coming to terms again with the weighty responsibility of raising children, of teaching but also modeling and showing children what it means to be a human being and what it means to be known and loved by you, our creator. I pray that we would not become overwhelmed by the weightiness of that responsibility, but that we would be reminded again that you are walking with us on this path and that there will be failures, that our children will correct mistakes that we make. But may we always model your love from a posture of grace, empathy, compassion, and openness to questions. As our children are even from a young age exploring what it means to follow you, we pray that you would empower us for this task, that you would equip us, that you would give us your grace. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with the joy and care of children. Give us calm strength and patient wisdom so to train them that they may love all that is true and pure and lovely and of good report, following the example of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning? <laughs>